right, greetings, you goddamned accursed. It's another edition of The Curse of Politics. Here, as always, to put the cuss in disgust, those strategy and comms kingpins, those burgers of the back room, Jenny Byrne and Scott Reed. We have a jam-packed agenda today, so we're going to get right at it. Today on the show, we're going to do a little handicapping of the conservative leadership candidates. Really looking forward to what Jenny has to say, obviously. Uh, in Ontario, Rod Phillips is officially stepping down making the announcement not by pre-recorded video while vacationing in St. Bart's, but via tweet this time. Is this going to be a strategic move for him? Probably not, but we'll talk about the concept of beating a strategic political retreat. Legault is floating a vaccine mandate tax. Has he jumped the shark with this one? And it's confusing. Truckers were exempt, then they were not exempt from proving vaccination status at the border, all in the course of one night. What the hell happened with all that? And what might the political ramifications be for the government? Our cursed clipping this week is Heather Schofield's piece on nuclear energy. And as always, we'll close the show with our weekly Hey Yous. Jenny, Scott, great to see you. Hey, great that's to see it? you too. That's all? That's all we're going to cover? Well, we're not going uh, <laughs> to like book club here? We're not going to read like, you know... <laughs> or, or something i mean jesus christ i've got days and days it's a fucking snow day here you know the kids are looking after themselves so i'm no, just for waiting snow- for sam to enter this show well you'll hear him before you see him i can tell you that much now for a snow day <laughs> scott with virtual learning is it an actual snow day or is it a uh, like kids have to like learn like it's not a snow day like when we were in school Yesterday was a shove it up your ass sideways day. It was online, <laughs> potentially asynchronous online learning day, which is like, imagine the shit we put our kids through. Asynchronous online learning. Hey, kids, get out of bed. I got great news. Asynchronous times are going to roll. <laughs> and then today is just a flat out snow day. I think that people, so few people really stuck with the day yesterday. So many students and teachers, I think, just loathed what they went through and parents they just said, fuck it. Today's an actual snow day, just like, you know, whatever. So that's great, except, you know, I've got a busy day with work already. And, you know, my kids are just upstairs kind of starting the gas uh, stove on their own. And, uh, you know, luckily, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. It's no good. I'm a shit parent is what I'm really trying to get at here is what I'm, I'm Shit, parent. Here. I'm buried in snow. You guys got a lot of snow. I'm buried in snow, waiting for the snowplow man to come up here. I, I'm not going anywhere. Not one ounce of fucking snow where I'm at, guys. Don't. don't. <laughs> fucking don't. Okay. Shoveled <laughs> snow yeah. for 16 hours yesterday out of the 22 <laughs> that I was awake. I shoveled my yard. I shoveled the next door neighbor's drive. I shoveled the spot that I like to park in front of my house, which is no longer allowed to park there. Um, but uh, yeah. Lots of shoveling. And and I have a cold. I don't have COVID. I have a cold. Okay. Like I have I yeah, sure. negative yeah, multiple sure. times. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm out shoveling. Tell it to the judge. For coughing and people start spraying weed killer in your face. They're like, fucking get away. And <laughs> no good. No good. But in the grand scheme of things, Scott, not nearly as bad as normally your other weeks go. Like, this seems like pretty mild compared to like other stories. No, thank you for uh, raising the point, but I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> my spring t- springtime in New York, Bob Dylan collection came. 
1980 to 1985. David, there are some tracks on here. The online version you can download from Amazon is not the same. This has got six CDs, some killer tracks, a couple of Empire Burlesque outtakes that you are going to dig. Dig. Really? Really? Lots of How am I going to hear them? Luke Taylor playing together from the Infidel years. Well, you're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear them soon because Scott's got the COVID or the cold. Sorry, no, I don't yeah. have COVID. <laughs> Prove it with a PCR test. Prove it with a PCR test. No, I, I got a cough. I'm not allowed to go in to get a PCR test. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long story, but I get pneumonia every goddamn winter, so I've got pneumonia. Just anyway, everything's yeah. Everything, everything would be better if I was in Miami. Oh, I guarantee you it would be. Yeah, that was an invitation to say fuck off, actually. Well, that's probably, yeah. (laughs) That's probably what Rod Phillips was also thinking when he resigned this week, that everything would be better in Miami. Or St. Bart's. Miami may be too low low brow for for Rod. (laughs) Way, way, way. What are you, pink flamingos and big (laughs) players? This on that. St. Bart's with white crisp pants that are creased and steamed. <laughs> no goddamn way. Ontario. Well, he ball. left the Ontario cabinet today. He left the Ontario cabinet this week. Martin Bright Khan said he was basically Doug Ford's brain, and now that's gone. Um, he was the minister of long-term care. He leaves in the middle of a long-term care crisis. He leaves with five months to go before an election. He announces it by tweet. What's the story here? This doesn't well, sound and like you're, a and you've, and you've And you've forgotten, like David, you've forgotten a big part of Rod's legacy in terms of, we kind of touched on it, in terms of, you know, Doug led him back in cabinet. So this is, this is if, if I was Doug Ford and I was anyone sitting in his office that had done a favor for Rod Phillips uh, to get him back in cabinet after he, he you know, spent Christmas, um, uh, Christmas at St. Bart's, I would be giving a giant fuck you, Rod Phillips, because... Um, uh, there was political capital ex- expended, expanded, expended by Doug. He didn't have to have him back in cabinet. I know that it ruffled uh, feathers within um, uh, within people of, of the party, but Doug was like, "Nope, we're gonna make we're gonna make Rod whole again. We want him back in cabinet." And then, to your point, you leave and you don't even leave. Like you're not even saying. I'm leaving and I'll just stay on as minister for the next five months or less than five months um, until until a new government sworn in conservative, liberal, NDP, whatever. Um, you basically say, yeah, I'm leaving in February. And, 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 atrocious, and from really. what I, and from what I gather, uh, the, the statement that said he spoke with, with the premier and with officials uh, prior to doing was, uh, was slightly inaccurate as well. So it was kind of a, Hey, this statement just went out. So I'm going to have to give you a shout right now. It was odd. It was like he slammed the whiskey glass on the bar and said, piss on it, I'm quitting this minute. And people said, no, 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 buddy, buddy, wait, like sleep it off. No, I'm not. Fuck it, I'm gone now, I'm gone now. And then off he went. Like it doesn't, it doesn't conform, as Jenny said, to a bunch of, you know, sort of expected conventions. Um, and, you know, like, whatever. I don't I don't begrudge a guy the, the right to say, you know what, I... He had been working in politics in his... Really? The long-term care minister in this circumstance? You don't begrudge it to him? Well, I, 
Like you, I think, no, I think, I, David, I, I don't want to speak for I don't begrudge him retiring from politics. If he decides, I don't, yeah. what I'm saying is, I don't begrudge him if he's come to the conclusion, you know what, I had this notion of myself when I was in the late 80s, early 90s, that I was going to work my way in business, make some money, then enter politics, become premier or prime minister. Like, I think he was one of those guys that felt that way. That was always the vibe I got off him back in the early 90s and kicking around the Mulroney government and stuff. And, um, and, I don't, so I don't begrudge him. He came to the conclusion, look, you know, this St. Bart's, where we're at, this, I'm not, it's not happening for me. So fuck it. I'm going, you know, but, but you got to do it in the right way. And I would think that this burns bridges um, within the provincial party. And I would think that this, uh, you know, it, 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 there are responsibilities of office too, as you say, right? Long-term care, it's kind of a file right now, you know? I mean, the provincial government, as far as I can tell, hasn't really paid any attention to it. But, you know, it's a matter of distress and concern to people. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's uh, such a, a fantastic uh, walk out the door. Yeah. Well, so Twitter was full immediately after he did it. Twitter was full of, oh, he's getting out while the getting's good. He sees the polls. He's getting out before the thing happens. All this kind of stuff. Um, do you see anything in this? A guy that I mean, nor. Normally, when people leave governments to preserve their own ambitions, it's it's governments that are sort of long in the tooth and you don't want to be around and associated with the end. Not in this circumstance. I mean, is this a is this a, a move to give him a political future or is this the end of his political career? I actually don't like I, I don't know. Um, I, I've talked to people that think it's it's it could be either or. Um, the, the, the vast majority of people that I've spoken to in the last week, kind of since it happened, though, uh, feel that this is a way for Rod to privately uh, be able to start the, the, the conversations going. I was really against all of these lockdown measures. Uh, so if, if whether it's a uh, it's another it's a you know, a run federally or provincially and, or, and I'm not even saying for leader, I'm just saying he he, preserves his uh, reputation that way. And I, I think that if, if that is the case, it's, it was, it's, it's the opposite of strategic brilliance. Like there is no way that a guy who sat in cabinet for um, all, but the five months that he was kicked out of cabinet uh, for uh, uh, basically locking, locking down, leaving, and then lying about uh, leaving, um, I don't think there's any way that he'll be able to uh, to not say that he wasn't part of a government that did these measures good or 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 bad, depending on what you um, what you think about them. So I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. I, 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 I'm, I'm waiting. There has to be some kind of job that he's going to have. Like, it's, I'm surprised it hasn't already be, been announced. I, I assume that the that the timing is dictated by there was some opportunity that was presented to him that he thought this is better than the track I'm on. The political play is not going to work out. And I kind of got to say yes to this thing right now. I'm just making that up. I mean, this is all just yeah. but, what job, but what job, but what job would that be that an employer who didn't, who obviously thinks you're, you're well, where's John Godfrey right now? Where's Paul Godfrey? I mean, where's Paul Godfrey right now? He would, that would be the clue as to where Rod, Rod got a job offer. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to, Trying to sort of reverse engineer what, but whatever what job, whatever job he gets, one of two things is going to happen. He's he's a conservative who has a lot of liberal friends, so it's you know the liberals could win, the NDP could win, but there's a good chance Doug's going to win re-election again. And you, whatever job, it, let's say he is hired to do, um, I you know whoever's better not be GR. This yeah, this this, <laughs> this mythical job we we're all talking about and all have in our heads for Rod. Um, if you're someone hiring for that, you've you you. 
you're then you're burning a bridge of like a like potentially like a 33 percent chance of who's going to be the next uh, to be the next premier. So it's just oh, the whole thing is just always it, the whole thing is just very strange to me. Well, I can disagree. You know, I, I think dis- the his- in any event, the history, I think, is pretty clear. And, and, you know, I'm a part of that history, which is when you try to come back from having when you leave and try to come back and run effectively against the record of the government because it is unpopular and about to be defeated. So you come back and you're the new leader and you're trying to run against the record of the government. It's very, very difficult and unlikely to be successful. So I think two things. First of all, I think that. But So with respect to Rod, both in, in specific terms and then in broad terms, in terms of using him as an example, one, I don't see, I don't see any evidence any, that's compelling that this is a strategy you know, a strategy for future political success. I just don't see that. The, it's. I mean, one of the things you must have if you do that, if you're Chrétien, who wasn't in government, but, you know, was in opposition at the time when he walked out of politics. If you're uh, Turner, obviously, from the 70s, you know, the Paul situation is a little more complicated. We can come to that. I'm happy to talk about that. But, you know, you you have to have a large reservoir of patient support. And by patient, I, I mean like that they will stick with you through that time and that they are, will organize and they'll be there. And I don't see evidence that there's this groundswell or network that's out there. Maybe I'm missing it, but I don't think that that's the case. I would say that, you know, the history, as you say, David, on this idea of I will step away so as not to get, you know, any horse dung on my trousers and then I will step back in uh, and be the cowboy hero uh, that will ride back up the hill and success. It's very, very uh, unlikely. And I mean, really, if you think about, the, you know, Chrétien did it, but that was a bit of a different rhythm, right? Chrétien was in opposition. Well, that was right? opposition. Yeah. And it's a big difference. Like, so he didn't have to campaign against his own team. He, um, and he could become the, um, he, he could become the, 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 you know, the hope for uh, during that period for, for those folks. He could become the, the imagined savior as opposed to, you know, someone that was kind of deciding whether or not they were chintzing from the sidelines. You know, and I, I just, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Even when you look at conservative examples, you know, and Peter McKay and stuff, it's very, it, it's, it's not, like people talk about it in abstract terms, like, oh yeah, this is a go-to political play. It's not, it's not a go-to political play that works over and over. And with respect to Paul, like, let's be honest, Paul, Paul, really, really, really was uncertain about whether or not he wanted to step away. He was very reluctant to do that. And it was only because things became so toxic and so it it got elevated to a conflict, you know, and people like to joke about got quit. But I mean, the reality is that they did pull the trigger on him. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a real hard course uh, to plow. And I just don't, I don't buy that's what's going on. Yeah, it's hard to run against. You can't. It's you can't. It's very hard to run against a government that you're part of. I agree in opposition. This is why. This is why. If there was a. If if in the next iteration of of leadership races, and not to be like you know completely esoteric and and in the weeds, this is why your buddy Mark Carney uh, running against someone like Christian Freeland. If you know the economy has absolutely tanked, and if we're still looking at prices like you know the fact that. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that gas is up over 50% from this year to last year kind of thing. If, if, if people are still feeling it, it's a lot easier for someone like him coming in and saying, I, he can, he can credibly say, I actually wasn't part of this fucking government. Like what their policies, I, I wasn't sitting around the table. I wasn't sitting in caucus. 
I didn't get a, I didn't get like a info alert talking point uh, memo as to what I would say if my local, uh, you know, weekly newspaper asked about it. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, you still got to be super duper careful. Those are tough needles to thread, man. So last week, I embarked on what's going to be an eight or nine part story here. Personally, I like a long story with lots of layers, especially when it ultimately leads to good stuff. If I want more darkness in my life, I'll just rewatch Yellowstone. It's brought to you by our presenting sponsor, TELUS. And if you remember last week's introduction, it's about how we get high-speed 5G wireless connectivity right for the whole country. Not just big urban centers, but all rural and remote areas and indigenous communities. <clears throat> this is Chapter 1, The Goldilocks Opportunity. 5G Spectrum are the radio waves that let your cell phone and Wi-Fi transmit data. It's up to 100 times faster than what we currently rely on. And hurly-burlyites, I know you know it doesn't just come to us magically. The government auctions it off to potential carriers like TELUS. And the upcoming auction is the critical step to get high-speed wireless to everyone in all parts of this country. It's for a particular bandwidth of 5G nicknamed Goldilocks. Goldilocks because it's mid-band, not too high, not too low, just right, so that high-speed wireless signals and lots and lots of data can travel long distances. And now you see why it's so critical for rural and indigenous communities. As I say these words, the feds are holding public consultations on the best way to auction this Goldilocks spectrum to carriers. They want fairness for Canadians, they want service to be universal for Canadians, and they want it to spur real competition amongst carriers, so monopolies don't result, and fair prices do. TELUS wants all of these things too, and next week I'm going to tell you why the key to getting the benefits of Goldilocks to all of Canada is measured in 100 megahertz, as well as how you can have a say in the process. Jenny, I'm just going to pick up on a thread you nicely <laughs> dropped on the table there, which is leadership races oh. and prospective leadership races. Yeah. So but there let's are just none. pick up on but that. But there, but there are none, except for the Green But there are none. But, oh, don't but play us for fools. We see you on TV, but this is a different table we're sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron O'Toole seems to be campaigning pretty hard to keep his job right now. After a period of quiet, he's all over social media, waving his arms and and uh, ripping the liberals about about everything. Who's he afraid of? Who's looking over his shoulder? If he quit now, what would the lineup look like to replace him? I, I, I listen. I can't speculate on what the lineup would look like. I think there would be a lineup just because if people, if if you know, if if. It, political parties are always going to have people that run uh, that that run, especially when the prize is so big for any of us that have all been in politics. There's a reason we do this, and it's to enact the policies we want and form government. There, that's there, there's that's ultimately and the mass power and glorify ourselves. Don't forget about that. <laughs> a, a little bit of that too, and so the glory, uh, Scott. The glory. It's all about the glory. Well, I mean, look at us, David. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I can't buy a drink in this town. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I listen. I think that the, the Aaron Aaron has been out and about. I thought the video on Gibo was very uh, was very strange because, as I've said before um, on this podcast, is is it's it's lying is a bad personal trait to have. It's deadly in in uh, in politics, and conservatives don't do cute well. And that was that video was was uh, uh, was was trying to be uh, uh, was trying to be cute. But it, it seems internally, from what I've been hearing from. Um, uh, talking to people across the country is kind of the more that, you know, as time goes on, it's becoming more of a foregone conclusion that Aaron just isn't going to be the leader in the next election. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not an emotional, uh, it's, it's Scott, did I say something? Sorry. Are we- I'm sorry. We have to interrupt this podcast for breaking news. Kent Hughes has been named the GM of the Habs. Huh? I think they, I think we will see Patrick Wall behind the bench then. Huh? We can go back to regular scheduled programming. I just wanted to mention that. And we'll pick this up at the end. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm th- Thank you. That's. I, I was just wondering why you were flailing. Like, I didn't think I said anything. Maybe three to four years from now, we'll have something to talk about. <laughs> result of a new general manager. Um, uh, but it's become, unfortunately for Aaron, it's just become more of a foregone conclusion that he just doesn't stay as, as leader. It's kind of ca- like loose caucus support that he had three months ago or people in the... This is breaking news, Jenny. You're saying something very significant. Yeah. You are saying something very, very significant. I don't think I am. You're I saying, think I've said this. I you think are. I said this, though, in the fall. You're a different kind of person to say. You hear this casually, but, like, you're saying the guy's, the guy's done for. Uh-huh. It's a big deal. There's a, there's a, how does the last chapter unfold? Like, and how long is it? Like, is, it, is he gone by April, by June? How does it exactly happen? Does, does caucus just one day say, listen, we're going to have a meeting and Sorry, man. Uh, here's your hat. Walk the door. Yeah, I think that's what it'll end up being. I think that, but that, I think if you look at most leaders, that ultimately is what happened. I don't think it's going to be a Reform Act um, vote. It's kind of part of the reason why I never supported the Reform Act for a whole host of reasons is, is if you lose caucus, you lose caucus. It doesn't matter if there's a stand up vote or, a, you know, a, a, you write the name on a ballot. Yes or no. Like there's, it doesn't matter. Once a, once a leader loses caucus. Um, they're done. And so I think that the problem for Aaron is he had lost a significant number of caucus after the election. And we, we talked about, like I said, what I would do if I was sitting across from Aaron O'Toole the week after the election, what I would have told him uh, to do. And he has done none of that. And it's not like he didn't do it for the first month. It's not like he didn't do it for the second month. It's he didn't do it like he hasn't done it. He hasn't done it since. And, and a big part of that is after you lose an election that you've you know, you campaign in one direction for, to win a leadership race, then you basically go a complete opposite direction. The party holds its nose for the most part because they feel that there's blood in the water with Trudeau and that we have a chance at winning. And then Trudeau comes back with, um, you know, more seats and, you know, you basically like floundered during the campaign. The first thing one would have to do is like my advice would have been to Aaron O'Toole, um, here's a beer. Um, because you're going to need it to wash down the shit that you're going to eat uh, with these 30 caucus members. Um, uh, and, and that's just your first, I'll bring you a beer for your second round of shit uh, that you have to swallow with caucus. Because in this case, caucus, the caucus are so important. And I have seen no evidence that Aaron has done any outreach uh, or any significant um, 
uh, significant outreach with caucus. And in fact, he's done the opposite. You've seen you've seen somewhat alienating or ignoring people that would have been in the supporter column for him. And then you see him going after people like, you know, Shannon Stubbs, which we talked about um, a couple months ago and it floundering. Like you go out, you you try to go after someone, you try to kill them to make an example and you lose like you lose spectacularly and it turns on you. And so I just, I, I just don't see a, I know I'm saying it kind of casually, but I think I've been here for so long that I'm not, I, I don't feel like it's news to, to me. It's, it's, I just don't think it, I see, I see zero evidence. I see zero um, evidence within the conservative movement that Aaron O'Toole will be our leader in the next election. Here's something you probably didn't know. The coldest capital city in the world is Ulaanbaatar, not Ottawa, Ulan Bator. But overall, Canada's winter still beats Mongolia's. And this is the coldest month. Some parts of the country are flipping between whiteout blizzards and cold so profound it'll damage your face if you're not careful. It's the season of indoor living. But not for our sponsor, CN. Its trains must keep rolling across the prairies and past Great Lakes and over mountains, and they must roll on time. If they're disrupted, so is the economy. And you know, we already have enough problems in that department. So CN meets Canada's winter head-on and deals with it. It's a big job. Severe cold plays nasty games with the physics of steel rolling on steel, especially under thousands of tons of pressure. It makes welded tracks less flexible, and ice crystals effectively attack train wheels, wearing down tread. Deep cold is also the enemy of air brake systems, on which trains rely to slow their massive inertia. Frozen gaskets leak and hoses fail, and if they aren't detected quickly, breakdowns and delays pile up. The solution is rigorous diligence and investment in technology. In winter, CN intensifies examinations of wheels and tracks. Gaskets are constantly changed. Thousands of winter-prepped locomotives capable of increased traction are deployed. Trains are inspected by track sensors and by automated portals as they roll through. Snow melters keep switches and critical junctions clear. CN's scientists strive to provide ultra-accurate weather updates, and automated warning devices ratchet up surveillance of high water levels, avalanches, and landslides. When temperatures drop to severe levels, trains are shortened, which improves braking. There's a lot more to it, but you get the picture. CN's dedicated railroaders can't do anything about the problems overseas, that have been choking global supply chains. But they can and do ensure smooth, efficient, rock-solid dependability of the domestic rail shipments we all depend on. As a matter of fact, CN carried record levels of cargo last winter. That didn't happen by accident. I mean, fuck Scott, if you were mounting a case for him, if you were mounting a case for him, given his standing in the polls, and given his lack of ability to put any real imprint on what he wants his offering to be intellectually like he did some political papering over things in the in the um in the platform but he hasn't really articulated a different vision of conservatism or a he doesn't stand for anything and he's dreadfully unpopular what is the case for this guy yeah, I think you've actually put your finger on it that, that I think the only path available to him would be to code a caucus and it's almost a stalling technique, but you have to transform that stalling technique into a resurrection. And the stalling technique, I think, would be, guys, um, this, vulnerable, this government is vulnerable. If we go through a leadership, 
All right. It's going to give them a chance to breathe. It's going to take some of the pressure off of them. And we actually may uh, find that we put ourselves through some searing uh, debates and ugliness also that might handicap our ability to succeed in the next election. So here's what I owe you. Guys, you could elect someone worse than me. Well, but that's and, and, yeah. and hey, here's here's what I owe you as a leader. Right. I haven't given you a plan. I haven't given you a plan and a path forward. So I'm going to give you this. This is my program. This is what we're focused on. This is what we're running on. This is this is going to be the next year of how we rabbit punch this government till it starts coughing blood. And then this is how we position ourselves, who our voter coalition is that we uh, acquire. And I can do that. Not anybody else can do it as well as I can. So give me that here's the full plan. This is it. And then at least, at least you put something to people. Right now, it feels like he's just treading water. He's kind of lashing back, sort of very desperately, almost pathetically, sort of going like he's back to true blue social media posts, right? Like it's sort of like it's it's. Like, it is. That's sad, Scott. It is sad to watch him. It's just flailing, just flailing, literally physically yeah. flailing with his arms up and down, like uh, you know somebody's putting an electric hey. cord up his ass, but flailing. You know, he, he doesn't stand for anything. But you're a hundred. But Scott, you're right. That's but that's the problem he had even in the last election. He doesn't stand for anything. He he needs to do his boxes. Uh, no, and uh, and 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 uh, and figure it out. But I don't know if uh, Scott is like I. Agree, I actually agree. You and I are actually in perfect agreement in terms of what he uh, should do. And I think you agree in terms of the eating shit with with caucus that that you know are out there defending him, and he needs to to survive. The problem is, is what does Aaron O'Toole stand for? Even with issues that come up in terms of things like the uh, CBC and and uh, uh, today there was another uh, letter about. Um, um, about mandate letters that came out, he's he's had different positions in the last two weeks on position. Mm -hmm. Like like it's it's. I don't think he can. He's scared of his own shadow. He doesn't know. He doesn't know whether to piss or wind his watch. So he's flailing all over the place. I'll give you another tactic I might try to employ if I were him. I would search about the firmament for um, established political uh, hands who people respect brought by and large across the party and try to recruit somebody into my office. I would try to use that sort of feint as a way of saying, and you know, I brought in Jenny Byrne. I brought in David Hurley. I brought in, you know, the former mayor of, you know, uh, whatever town to, you know, to stabilizing this former MP. That so, so interesting. Called. So it's, so the, the, wait, let me stop you. Cause this is interesting advice. So I think it is the case, Scott, that had Paul decided that he wanted to stay on and remain leader after the 2006 election. Yes. That the price that the caucus would have extracted from him for that was getting rid of all of us. We would have been Romanov. Right? Absolutely. You, me, everybody out the door. Marches to the basement. Bullets. You cannot compare. You, no, so, no, no, guys. So I'm now, not you're fighting you. for, now you're fighting for a leadership uh, without I, your own people. Now I, you bring in strangers to you. No, I'm not going to allow you guys to compare Paul Martin to uh, Aaron O'Toole to Paul Martin. That is just that 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 there is zero comparison on that. There is zero comparison. And I don't say this as as just because we're friends, but like I, 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 I've gotten to know you guys. I know your campaign abilities. We like we fought campaigns against each other. You are in no comparison to it. Paul Martin is not in comparison to Aaron O'Toole. So the difference is, is you guys. Your loyalty is the reason that Paul Martin ended up becoming prime minister. Like it was your loyalty and hard work and what have you that, that you, you you can't compare how kind of Aaron became uh, became leader and like where he is right now. He he became leader by running completely against who he 
um, he was. He literally falls into the category of a politician who will say whatever he thinks people want to hear um, uh, to get elected. Like, I, I, I don't disagree with what he said uh, um, uh, during the leadership race. We talked about this. My problem was knowing Aaron the way I do. I knew it was all just a lie. So, uh, yes, yeah, Scott, do I, do I think he could bring people in that would help him with caucus? I think caucus management is a huge thing. I think it's past that point now. And I don't think, uh, like David, I think that if he wanted to put a bullet in anyone, um, uh, he could have already done that. But I don't think that there's, I don't think he has anyone around him that's, you know, seen as big enough to actually put a bullet. I think it just, it, that time has come and gone. Like, I think it's just, um, so I just, but I don't want you to compare 2006 and you guys to like Aaron O'Toole because there is like zero. No, it's a very minor. I, I thank you. I appreciate that. And it is a minor point on which we were drawing a comparison. Let me get back to the handicapping of the worry. just for a second. I know we great. tried to slide we away. We think the liberal party needs two scoops of us. Okay. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> we're in defiance of history and popular opinion when it comes to where we stand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The gesture was kind. I want to focus us around two questions for the conservative leadership race. There, One there, is, of which there is, is no leadership race, but go ahead. Understand. Understand. First question is, will there be a PC type candidate in the, in the vein of Peter McKay representing that wing of the party and in a serious way? And second of all, how prohibitive a favorite is Polyev? Um, listen, I, I think there will be like, whenever there is a race, there will be a race. Um, uh, I don't think the labels internally, uh, matter as much as what people outside the party, uh, think it was, it was shockingly very seamless. I can say this as someone that came from the reform Canadian Alliance side, uh, when we merged the parties in 2003 and 2004, I, I worked on Harper's leadership campaign in 04. And then when he won, uh, came into the party and we were literally starting to work with people that, you know, a year ago we had been working against and it was very seamless. Right. So I, I think it's to say like, you know, PC side of the party versus non PC side of the party. Like, I think it's, I don't think those labels um, mean anything <coughs> anymore. And I think if we look, at the last leadership race, I think that was the fun, like where people now are like, it doesn't matter because because Aaron and uh, Leslin uh, wasn't really like Leslin wasn't involved in either of the legacy parties. And Aaron and Peter, the two front runners, were both people from the PC party, like the PC side of things like Aaron, Aaron O'Toole used to make fun of me back in the day for being uh, a reformer. Uh, you're, you're a reformer working on Bay Street now would, would be kind of. Uh, what his uh, what his joke was. So I don't think the uh, I don't think the um, uh, I don't think the labels kind of matter anything um, uh, it, 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 at this point. Okay, so we haven't and, mentioned PP. Yeah. No, we, we've been dead. right here. Polyev, obviously, I mean, is the big question mark. He didn't run last time. He was going to run, then he pulled out. Family issues, young family, all that stuff. Family still relatively young, um, but he's the obvious that per people look at and go, well, he's a guy from the Harper era, you know, he's got a high profile, all that stuff. Obviously, you know, I'm not trying to put you in a super duper awkward spot, although maybe a little bit, Jane. Uh, and so that's the first thing, right? So if he runs, is he such a prohibitive front runner that it's very difficult for others? I assume you'll still get the Lesson and Lewis's of the world. So you're going to have all that ugly, weird shit where it's going to be kind of, you know, like, 
you know, um, socially conservative, but then people will have a big dollop of, you know, we, we mishandled the pandemic. We shouldn't have to make people get vaccinated, all that kind of stuff. And that, that'll get, uh, weird and ugly. And there's a risk that it will alienate conservatives from popular mainstream opinion even more. So you go through all that stuff. I know you don't like to hear that, but I think that's a real risk. The big question I have is what, like, isn't there is, I, I look around that caucus, I don't see a lot of timber. So what else after that? I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but I'm wondering about a name like Tim Houston. Do you look at that guy and go, now this guy's young. He's well-liked in the party federally as well. Um, he's got some roots there. Uh, I'm sure he probably is not not eager to leave his job after he just won it. Um, but like, why wouldn't people be, you know, taking the tax to him and going, dude, come on, give it a whirl. Come on. And, and some people find him very cute. A lot of my gay friends call him daddy Houston. Um, that's their nickname for it. Um, uh, in fact, as we were sitting here, David, one okay. there's a pretty big I, golf. There's a pretty big golf. I, I don't know where you guys are going with this. And I'm a little afraid of it, but the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> we'll pull back there's a the pretty big golf, Scott. Between between conservatism as it is practiced in Atlantic Canada and conservatism as it is practiced in Western Canada, there's a pretty big gulf. I don't know how interested Western conservatives are going to be in Tim Houston. I think it would be interesting to have the party have that discussion, wouldn't it? But I but 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 I think listen, I think it, it also is is everyone has different everyone has different styles. Um, uh, Higgs in New Brunswick could end up being the only other premier in uh, Canada to actually balance his budget uh, in, again um, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of in New Brunswick. And, and you know, then, then we're looking at Kenning and Higgs, who have very different, uh, um, uh, very different, uh, very different styles. So I think, listen, I think the reason people talk about Pierre and and it's not like it's a secret. I, I was going to support him. We've talked about it on the pod. If he had run in the last leadership race. Um, I, I was going to, um, I was going to support him. And when he did, when he made the decision, him and his wife made the decision that, that he wasn't going to run. I, I did a, a lot of media in terms of uh, talking about that. Um, I think the reason people look at him, like we were, you know, when we were talking about topics for this podcast uh, yesterday, um, you know, our friend, uh, our friend Michael brought up the fact that, you know, 1.5 million people have, you know, watched just on Twitter alone, a speech of, uh, Pierre talking about, you know, the history of money and, and, you know, it being shared by, uh, you know, Bitcoin enthusiasts and, and tr traders in, in the U S. And so I think the reason that he is perceived as a, as a front runner is because he just has such a huge share of, uh, voice within the conservative, uh, movement. I, I think that there's no one comparable and that includes, uh, premiers and that includes, uh, the leader of the current leader of our party. And so that's why he's, uh, I think that's why he is perceived by most um, uh, as as a front runner if he decides to run in whenever a leadership race happens. And it's it's true, is it not, that he can pick an electric car up over his head with just like with his, just nothing but his brute force, and he can and he can hurl that car right straight in <laughs> to Lake Ontario and say, "Be gone, you woke strategy." Um, <laughs> So that's got to be appealing. I mean, it's nice to have a so-called strong leader. Um, but if he runs, how many other people run? You'll, you'll get you'll get the Lesson Loomis types that will. But is that going to clear the track? Who knows? Honestly, who knows? We'll, we'll as uh, we'll see. We'll see more of of 
you know, commentary on this and people, uh, but a bit, but I, it's honest when I say no one is talking about, uh, this isn't me spinning you guys. This isn't like, you know, we, we turn off the, the camera. Yes, and I'll be like, like, O'Toole is a walking dead man. Now he is, he is, he is, but no one is talking about his replacement because everybody knows we will get one and it will be better. Not all of us. But yeah, surely no. people must be working. If I thought, if I thought the leadership no was going to come open, something. The only, the only chitter chatter that I hear uh, is there's a lot of chitter chatter about Patrick Brown and his recent foray into uh, uh, yeah. lockdown, uh, lockdown and vaccination policies. And so there is chitter chatter among people that uh, he's trying to make a play, but, but it's, it's, then people don't know whether it's it's provincial or whether it's it's uh, federal, but that is the only David. I'm being, you know, on my mom. I'm being honest. The only talk of leadership is Aaron O'Toole, and then recently Patrick Brown. One last question. Well, that's so odd because people are organizing for the Liberal leadership race, and Trudeau is likely to serve out survive O'Toole. <laughs> Just one last thing, and I assume we're going to dispense with this really quickly, but I think it's hard to raise this topic without absolutely driving this nail into the board. Harper's not running. There's no, there's no likelihood of Harper coming. You can be able to talk about this every time a conservative leadership discussion happens. Not That's a, not, not a, Harper, not a, zero percent chance. He's, he's doing his thing. He's, you know, um, he's, he's happy doing his thing. Um, he will always be a influential person within our party. He was the founding, he was the founding leader. He was prime minister for, uh, for 10 years. Uh, this he's week, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you've uh, you've seen um, uh, you've seen he did a fundraising appeal for uh, Peter McKay to help him pay off his uh, to help him pay off his debt. So he still is always going to be a, 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 a like a, a force of nature, so to speak, within the party. But he is uh, he is not running again. Okay. Well, one guy who probably would have expected to be part of the race whenever it happens would be Jason Kenney, and that is not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And I say this as I like Jason. It's but Jason, if I if I was Jason, I would work to become the uh, uh, to, to to fall into the vein of Peter Peter Lockheed or Ralph Klein and and be a long serving premier um, of Alberta because I think that um, I, I don't think that I, I don't think that being a federal leader is is uh, I, I just don't see it happening at least in a very long time. He's got his work cut out on that front. So agreed. That's, that's that's what makes it so hard for him to consider going federal. I think. But. All right, we have to go to our first segment. Forty-five <laughs> minutes into the show, we're going to our first it's segment. It's like snow shoveling. You know, our clip. <laughs> <laughs> it's our clippings, clipping of the week. This week comes to us from Heather Schofield in the Toronto Star. I'll just read you a couple of quick excerpts. There was an awkward moment in Glasgow at the beginning of November when Justin Trudeau spoke out in favor of using nuclear energy to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Awkward because Stephen Gilbo, his new environment minister, whom the prime minister had paraded around the global climate summit as proof that he was serious about confronting climate change, had said something much vaguer just a day earlier. And uh, da 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 da. If we are going to cut back on fossil fuel consumption, we don't have nearly enough electricity or other clean alternatives to make up for our insatiable hunger for energy. A massive increase in clean electricity is central to meeting the demand. Um, and expanding nuclear power is a key part of the mix. The role of nuclear energy is recognized as fundamental 
to achieving and sustaining Canada's climate change goals and the technology is seen as a long-term baseload of electricity supply, said the International Energy Agency. So the question is, where's the Trudeau government going to come down on nuclear? Time is getting short because it's a long-run enterprise to do, and if you were going to be getting into it, you'd be getting into it now. And uh, they seem to have appointed a minister of the environment of climate change who has, dating back to years of activism on the file, being an anti-nuclear advocate ideologically. So, Scott, you chose this as our clipping of the week. What interested you about this? Well, two things interest me about it. Obviously, the top line debate about nuclear and what's going to go on, you just set it up perfectly, right? And I think the Gibo is obviously resistant. I don't know the guy. I'm not sitting around any boardroom tables. I'm not hearing any kind of gossip. I'm looking at Heather's stuff. I think Heather's one of the smartest, most interesting people writing right now. And I think she's put her finger on a real uh, on a real issue. It seems to me inevitable that nuclear has to be an absolute pillar. You just can't get there from here. I mean, first of all, a plan for 2030 is an ambitious plan, like gigantic ambition, like monster ambition, like we're going to do, we're going to undertake the fellowship of the rings kind of ambition. And so to do that without nuclear just seems to me to be a non-starter. So I think eventually Gibo um, will be forced to include that in the plan. I don't know if the center makes him do that. I don't know if he's just trying it's to- It's like leaving people. Gandalf behind or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, but Scott, you're 100% right. There is a 0% chance there's a 0% chance that uh, there can be a transition uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of uh, energy use in Canada without nuclear. It's just, it's, it just, it, it, it is just, it's as much as like we're 7% of energy is solar and, and, uh, and wind. And maybe someday um, probably when we're long gone and dead, um, there'll be way to, to, to have an efficient battery for solar and wind and all this kind of stuff, but it's not happening in our generation. So like all things Trudeau, Trudeau, Gibo will have zero percent uh, uh, say in this because there is the there is no chance that the Liberal government cannot move ahead on what any climate change plans they have uh, that d does not involve nuclear. And, and we, we're already seeing the, the what happens in countries like Germany, who now just in the last two weeks took another reactor off the um, off the grid, and energy prices are are rising. Uh, rising yet again. So I, I think that it's it's inevitable. It's 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 kind of like <clears throat> all things energy wise with Trudeau. He talks more of the talk than he walks the walk. Because if you even look at Gibo's uh, and you look at the different mandate letters for him and Wilkinson and others, is that he didn't talk about reducing uh, energy uh, in oil production in the in the uh, in Alberta. It, it it talks about maintaining it at the same levels that he has. So. So kind of the persona of Trudeau in terms of talking about energy and the actual governing of Trudeau are two very different things, which is why I think that it, 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 it is, to me, it's a no brainer. Like I, I thought, I thought the article was great, but it's a no brainer. Nuclear is, is, is it, like, it, it has to, it has to be something that the government um, uh, props up or a government endorses when, when the when the government when, when when the environmental movement was was being formed in the 60s and 70s a lot of it was galvanized by anti-nuclear sentiment and that core ideology remains central to the environmental movement but i don't fucking get it okay i don't get it there's never been an incident at a canadian uh nuclear power plant of any kind and the risk that is associated with what do we do with the waste, which is always the question people ask. What do we do with the waste? I don't discount that, 
But when you're talking about the risk of climate change, when you're talking about something that we say is irrevocably changing the climate of the planet to make it less livable, I don't understand how you compare the relative risks of something that is conceptually risky but has never caused a problem, such as nuclear waste, with climate change. Like, I don't understand the, the risk analysis that's going on here by the environmental movement. So I just think it's bullshit. So just a, a last beat on this, because obviously we're all in fierce agreement. There's one little obvious kind of thing, too, that I think is noteworthy that Heather highlights that I think is also it's just important to put a spotlight on. Giebel's working on this plan, right? He's got a plan for 2030, right? And they say they're putting this together. Well, as Jenny says, you know, like people can easily be skeptical and go like, oh, you know, like another government plan, a particular government plan from this government. I mean, I think this is one that's got to matter, doesn't it? Like this has got to be one. This can't be given how central this issue is to our policy as a country, to our politics as a country, to the um, to the test that Trudeau has invited people hold him to. Like this thing's got to hold water. This has got to be like it can't just be like, oh, yeah, we put together a 70 page brochure and it's got some, um, you know, colorful uh, graphs and stuff like it's got to actually have some kind of plausible path. That's going to include, just as you're pointing out, David, some hard trade-offs. And like when it comes out in March, April, May, whenever it is, it, it's going to have to be an important document in a way that this government hasn't actually like put a lot behind these kinds of plans before. Like they put these plans out and whatever, and nobody really sort of holds them to account for it. They don't act like they're going to hold themselves to account for it. Well, this one's going to fucking matter, or at least it ought to. But then it's going to have to be driven by the center because this is not a government that's used to, to your point, uh, putting out <clears throat> plans. That's not the um, psychology, psychology that they have sitting around the uh, uh, the cabinet table. They've all learned different or bad habits, whatever you want to uh, you want to call it. And Trudeau also doesn't want to be in a position where, you know, on page 70 of Gibo's uh, extensive climate change plan, there's something anti-nuclear and like, you know, he's standing up at a at a presser and then all of a sudden Heather Schofield or someone asks him a question about, well, your, your environment minister is saying, um, is saying uh, X in his plan. Like <clears throat> this is such a big deal for the government. This has to be driven. If it's going to be done right and done by the way that Trudeau wants it to be done, it is going to have to be driven by the, uh, it's going to have to be driven by the center. This is their 95 budget. I think, like, isn't it? By their own definitions. Maybe it won't be presented that way. Maybe they won't characterize it that way. But when you take a look at the policy challenges that confront us and the regional tensions that confront us, and when you take a look at the fact that they say this is an existential threat and it is the essential top priority, not just for the government, but for this prime minister, this is the cause celeb beyond all others to find this reconciliation and make this reconciliation of energy and climate work. I mean, it's their 95 budget. This is supposedly, this should be presumably the blueprint by which this government is judged. 100%. Politicians, by the way, underestimate. Politicians, I think, uh, are scared un unwarrantedly of nuclear energy. They think it's unpopular. It isn't actually unpopular. 70% of Ontarians support the use of nuclear energy to provide electricity in Ontario. But I think, David, it's to your point in terms of like what, what people, especially the boomers, remember in terms of you know, the protests and, and people being uh, the, 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 yeah. the, 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 you know, the scare tactics uh, that was, were used by people in Greenpeace and what have you. So that's why I think it's, it's oh. people, people think. Not just Greenpeace. Don't you remember 
the way like they were going to deliver that file to Jack Lemon, who was going to hand it to Michael Douglas and Jane Fonda, and then they chased that guy right <laughs> off the road. And, uh, and, you know, some, some, sometimes it was up to some, no good in the seventies, man. Sometimes our age differences come out when we talk Sorry, about little China syndrome reference there for you. <laughs> I'm more of a Silkwood person myself. But anyway, um, <laughs> we got only a few minutes left. And uh, this past week, Francois Legault, Quebec Premier Francois Legault, got under Jenny's and my skin at least. I don't know where you stand on this, Scott. But Jenny, his proposed levy on people that were unvaccinated um, to cover their share of that health care system costs felt to me like a real bridge too far. Yeah, well, it's the complete opposite of uh, it's the complete opposite of universal health care like we talked about. So like we as Canadians, uh, like it's we have like if if we all say there we love our health care, we think it's great. And I'm not even you and we've all talked about the actual health care delivery in Canada. So it's this isn't where I'm going. I think it's just a um, I think it's a it, it, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a bridge too far in terms of uh in terms of uh in terms of uh in terms of treatment in terms of treatment as i've said before we all know and love people that um are unvaccinated we have a very high vaccination um rate um uh in canada and i think that this is like i know a lot of people uh david that i saw on twitter that were saying well there's syntaxes on on alcohol and there's syntaxes on tobacco and it's like okay well there's not syntaxis on people that OD from fentanyl or cocaine or um, other uh, other drugs that they use. And, and, and when they go to hospital... Jenny, I expect the fucking healthcare system to treat my gout, okay? When I have gout, when I have an outbreak of gout, I expect to get help for that. Now, what causes gout? Every shitty lifestyle choice you can possibly red, imagine red is what causes Jesus <clears throat> in the conservative the in the wine and eating turkey in the conservative in the conservative <laughs> party we had a gout caucus for God's sakes like <laughs> well <laughs> let's put a pin on that and come back to it a little bit because I think there may be more to that story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thing I really dislike about it. Okay. So I'm with you guys. I'm against it. And as you know, I'm pretty hard ass on this. I've lost friends over whether or not they're going to get vaccinated. And, you know, they're kind of bullshit about, well, I'm not really against it. I'm just sort of hesitant, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm a hard ass on this, but I'm a hard ass on it in the terms of saying, listen, if you choose not to get vaccinated and you make that decision for yourself and for everyone else around you or for everyone else with whom you might come in contact, then you're going to have to pay the penalty of living under a more restricted world. You're going to have to find that people are not going to let you come into their places of work, worship, their homes, all that kind of stuff. But when you start saying, I'm going to tax those people, then you're telling those people it is a barrier to accessing health. You're saying to those people, well, then don't confess that you're not vaccinated. Therefore, when I'm not feeling well, I will refuse to go to the hospital. I will refuse to go uh, to seek care. And then you are undermining the fundamental promise of universal health care. So I don't like it. I think it's a wrong way to go. I think the comparison to syntaxes is incorrect. It's not, it's not the same thing because I can buy a bottle of booze, but that doesn't prohibit me from accessing and pay more for it. That doesn't prohibit me from ac accessing healthcare. I think this will discourage people from accessing a system that is and ought to be there for them when they are in need. But there's something else, man. And we, we keep coming back to it. Bill 21, this. We've got a premier who's flush 
with public opinion support. And I know it's receded a little bit as he's had to do these lockdown measures. And some people make a link to that. But I think this is a guy who feels unrivaled and unchallenged. I think this is a guy who feels like he can make choices that he doesn't pay a consequence for. And this is the kind of thing you get when people um, feel uncontested. And I just, I'm like, we all tiptoe around Quebec and we tiptoe around the go because he seems so powerful, particularly with Francophone voters. But at some point, somebody's got to step up on some of these questions and say, dude, you're wrong. And just because you are flush with Francophone votes and you are popular doesn't make every choice you make popular. There are some things that are wrong, even when the majority of opinion is supportive of it. And uh, I just feel like people are scared shitless of this guy. And at some point, we got to start giving him rope. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, too. Although, ideally, it would be something in the in the provincial wing of, the, of of politics in Quebec that would start to take him on intellectually. There's no intellectual challenge to him of any kind. And I know that we'd like the feds to do it, but it really isn't the right dynamic to have a it fed sets it up. federal government, provincial government fight about this. It needs to come organically within the province. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so we don't have time to get uh, Omar... Minister Algabra, we don't have time to get to the uh, vaccine truckers uh, today. Um, fun as that conversation would have been, so you got a week off, um, Minister. But uh, we'll, since we talk about cost of living every week, and since those things are related, we'll probably get back to that. But we've reached the end of our time, which Gordon Pinsent needs to get to bed uh, <laughs> back for a nap. And so uh, he's anxious to assemble everybody for the hey yous. Ladies and gentlemen... Please return to your seats. The hey yous are about to begin. All right. Who wants to start? Uh, well, I can go. Um, so, go. Uh, great. Uh, so today uh, there was a another article about how much uh, McKinsey is get gets paid by the uh, uh, by this liberal <laughs> government uh, and. Uh, the fact that Dominic Barton used to basically have a revolving door into uh, cabinet meetings, cabinet committee meetings, when he was uh, the head of uh, head of McKinsey before he was appointed to uh, uh, before he was appointed to his job in um, uh, Australia or in uh, China, which then got his jo a job at uh, Rio Tinto. But at the, the federal liberal government basically has paid thirty four million dollars to McKinsey and consulting services. This is, of course, a government that said that they were going to uh, they were going to kill, cut consulting or outside consulting services um, in government and, and rose them by, I think, 40 percent in the first uh, the first year. We essentially paid almost no money to uh, McKinsey in our. Yeah, I, saw, I saw a chart. You, you, the Harper government was not nearly as impressed with McKinsey as this government is. Apparently. Yeah. So anyway, so I think that th there is some real uh, there'll be some fire to the smoke uh, if uh, if the opposition parties take this on. So it's not just a hey you to conservatives to uh, to to go after uh, uh, Dominic Barton. Um, and it's not just um, I, it's it's to the NDP. It's to all of it's all of them. There is there is some uh, there is some there is something uh, there is something to this um, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of these contracts regarding the Phoenix pay system and and uh, what have you. And so, I, if I was the opposition, I would be asking serious serious questions in terms of uh, what the government's relationship with McKinsey and uh, Dominic Barton what it actually entails. Interesting. Interesting. Scott? Remember that time, David, 
when we were going through the hydro thing with Premier Wynn and um, and there was a big headline, somebody had done an access to information. I think Deloitte had gotten something like $6.8 million in advisory fees and all this kind of stuff. But buried within there was like, I think, 20 grand for me and Festchuck because we were working on uh, on the task force uh, doing comm support. Of course, I'm the one, though, that gets highlighted in the front page of the newspaper, right? Like as though like, you know, so there's like a $7 million headline and it's like, you know, uh, Scott Reed, and then so like I wandered into a cabinet meeting, and the premier turns and she goes, "Oh, there's my seven million dollar communications advisor," and I'm like, "God damn it! You of all people know that's not true. These fucking management consultants suck money up like vacuums." Um, so I, I maybe bear some, some bruises. Um, there's it's it's. I mean. All governments, but obviously the feds too. Like this, this government by management consultant. There's a lot of that going on these days, man. Uh, there's a lot of that going on federally and provincially. Um, my hey you is to all the Ford haters. Okay, now David once went on television and called Doug Ford a dick, a bit of a dick, right? So he's not a big fan of Doug Ford's. Um, he made CRTC history by then getting approval for that phraseology and is now endorsed. And you can, in fact, use it on television anytime you wish in the way that David did also. Um, and I've Even in the daytime. In the daytime. I've obviously <laughs> been critical of Doug Ford and all this. But yesterday, Doug Ford's out there shoveling snow and digging people out. And he's like, hey, folks, I'm just out here on my four by four trying to, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I got the jumper cables and the chains out and I'm helping uh, folks go. And. There's a lot. I'm going to hate you right now. I'm going to hate you right now. A lot of people out there, and I made I made fun of them. I made lots of jokes on um, on Twitter about it too. But there's a lot of folks out there, like kind of going, yeah, yeah, you know, and he should be at Queens Park doing all this. That's all true. Okay, it's all bullshit. It's all put on. It's all crap. Okay, don't feed the beast. Okay. There's no point in thinking that you've got a valid critique by screaming at Doug Ford that he's full of shit. He ought not to be in the four by four. Of course he ought not to be. Of course it's all for show. Of course it's bullshit. Um, but like, don't, don't energize the other side with a criticism. Get back to schools. Talk about that. Focus on where the guy's vulnerable and he's plenty vulnerable. He's pulling at 30% approval. That means 70% don't approve of him. Don't give the guy the opportunity to fight on the strongest ground where he looks like he's, you know, winching people out of the thing in, in snowbanks and so forth. Don't fight that fight. That's his fight. Because none of us think that Stephen Del Duca would be like in a snowbank uh, uh, winching someone out. That's not the fucking test of whether or not you're a good premier. And my point is, I I agree with you right now. I'm agreeing with you. No, you're not. I am actually agreeing with you. She is. She's saying, of course, Del Duca would exactly if he was driving by. Now, whether Del Duca would drive around town looking for people to pull out of a snowbank, I don't know. But if Del Duca drove by somebody in a snowbank, he would help them. He's that kind people. of person. Hey, hey, are you stuck? No, I'm just in a red light. Here, let me help out. <laughs> Here's some hot shots. Put Sorry. these in your gloves. I'm the premier. All right. My hey you goes out to the political leadership of Canada. You're failing right now terribly. This country is confused, anxious, absent direction about COVID. Nobody knows what the plan is. Nobody knows what's working and what isn't working. Nobody knows what next month will bring. Um, and the leadership of the country has gone completely silent. 
gone are the days when they're anxious to get up in front of cameras and microphones and tell us about what they're doing and thinking and how things are going to unfold. Nobody wants to do that anymore. You can't get tested. You can't get, you, you, you can't get anything. And it's, and everybody's just sitting around wondering what the fuck is happening. And people should stand up and start to tell us what the fuck is happening. That's my hey you for the week. I got plenty of people telling Guys, me what. I love- no school, no Canada Post, no snow removal. <laughs> I feel like I've been informed all the time. I just don't like the thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, this was fun. Great talking with you again this week. I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, TELUS, and our sponsor, CN Rail, for their support of this podcast. And, of course, all you accursed out there for listening. We'll be back next week with more entertaining banter about politics. (laughs) See you then.